Amen. I like that song, amen? I'll tell you what, if you can't stand up for Jesus here, you'll never stand anywhere. This is his house. You're saved, we are his people. Go ahead and get in your Bible, if you would, in Numbers chapter 14. Numbers chapter 14, if you don't have a Bible with you, there is one near you. It's got a hard black cover. We'll be on page 123. Numbers chapter 14, Paul told the Corinthian believers to flee from idolatry. And that simply means that any of us who know the Lord Jesus as Savior need to flee from idolatry. Uh, there should not be anything or anyone in our lives that we admire, love, reverence, or worship more than the God of the Bible, our Creator. And so in light of that, we have been in the, a 21-message Sunday morning series on learning of Him to flee from idolatry. We are just a few weeks away from finishing. I'm already thinking and praying about what the Lord would be most pleased for us to do next. I have four more messages planned in this series. Last week, we talked about our Creator being gracious. God is gracious. To be gracious means to give more good than someone deserves. And we talked about us not being able to appreciate grace until we understand what we actually deserve from a holy and a just Creator. We talked about God being gracious in salvation. He gives heaven to guilty sinners who call upon the Lord in faith. We talked about the Lord Jesus making sufficient grace available for anyone who is saved to face whatever difficulties it is that they're facing. And we close talking about our need as followers of Jesus to be more gracious, to give more good to both people and situations than they deserve because God, who lives in us as believers, is gracious. Paul said to the Corinthian believers, though there be many that are called gods, there is but one God in 1 Corinthians 8. Though there is one God, the world in which Jesus sent his apostles was filled with many that were called gods. There was a pantheon of Greek and Roman gods everywhere. The apostles took the message of Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and coming again. And some people, quite frankly, they took great offense to the apostles telling them that those they called deities were either man-made or an evil spirit posing to be a god. They were offended and angry, uh, but that's the world into which Jesus sent them. Many living in Asia and Europe in the days of the New Testament sincerely followed those they called gods. But hear me when I say sincerely believing that Zeus or Diana to be a god does not make them a god any more than believing the earth to be flat makes it anything other than a sphere which the Bible declares and science has confirmed. And though there are many purposes for the Bible, the most important purpose is for God to reveal himself to mankind. If you have any sort of eyes at all to see, you cannot help but look around and see the complexity of our world, the incredible delicacy and interwoven nature of biology, and know that there is an intelligent creator behind it all. But you cannot look at creation and know what our creator is like. If you want to know what our creator is like, we must look in the Bible, where he's revealed himself to us. It is sad to me that most of our world has created a Jesus of Nazareth in their own image. They have used the name Jesus and then attached to it a personality that is nice to them. Instead of looking into the New Testament and to find how Jesus has actually revealed himself 
to be to us. And I know, I echo the view of most here this morning when I say that I want to believe and follow and love Christ as He really is. One of the idol gods mentioned 12 times in the Bible is Dagon. Dagon was the main deity of the Philistines as well as the ancient Phoenicians. Dagon is usually pictured with a tail and trunk of a fish to the navel, and then above his navel with the torso, arms, hands, and head of a bearded male. Those who followed Dagon believed he had special power to make their crops better and brought all the blessings that water brought to those parched countries in the Middle East. For those of you who are familiar with Bible stories, it was a temple of Dagon that Samson used his last ounce of strength to bring down. For those of you familiar with modern role-playing games, Dagon is a character in their game. Paul said the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to devils and not to God. Maybe some things in role-playing games aren't just harmless fun. But I'm not here this morning to talk about role-playing games nor the false god Dagon. I am here to talk about our Creator. In fact, as you and I consider our life choices over the years, thankfully... God is long-suffering. If you're able to stand this morning, if you would stand, please, in honor of God's Word. The title of my thought is, God is Long-Suffering. Numbers chapter 14, verse 17. Moses is praying here, and he says in verse 17, And now I beseech thee, let the power of my Lord be great, according as thou hast spoken, saying, The Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy forgiving iniquity and transgression, and by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation. Pardon, I beseech, the iniquity of this people according unto the greatness of thy mercy, and as thou hast forgiven this people from Egypt even until now. And the Lord said, I have pardoned according to thy word. Thank you, not might be seated. God miraculously delivered the people of Israel from Egyptian bondage as Moses led them out and God sent great plagues. After leaving Egypt, God parted the Red Sea for Israel and then the Egyptian armies unwisely followed them into the Red Sea and even though the water was walled up on the sides, they followed them anyway and God drowned the Egyptian army in the Red Sea and the people of Israel watched it all happen. God manifested His presence to the people of Israel on Mount Sinai in a special way as He gave His laws to Israel through Moses. And for the first time from Mount Sinai in history, uh, the people of God had a written record of what God wanted and what God was like. God provided in a special way as Israel journeyed in the wilderness. In fact, every Israelite experienced God and saw his power. They saw the pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night over the top of their tabernacle. Each morning until the sun waxed hot, they could go outside the camp and six days a week gather manna, angels' food from heaven, so to speak. Uh, They saw Moses strike the rock with his staff and 
enough water come out to nourish two to three million Jewish people and all their livestock. God did special things. But when you arrive at Numbers chapter 13 in the Bible, finally they have come to the border of Canaan, the land God promised them, the land they had heard of all their life, the land they left Egypt to go into, and unfortunately most of them lacked the faith to believe that God would give them that land. And they chose, unfortunately, to murmur against Moses and Aaron, and they had learned now that it was actually much harder to follow God than what they had imagined when they left uh, Egypt to follow God. By the way, it's always been hard to follow God. Uh, if you are someone who thinks it is going to be easy to follow the Lord Jesus Christ, you're in for a surprise. It is blessed to follow the Lord Jesus. It is worth it to follow the Lord Jesus, but it is not an easy thing in a world that has rejected their creator, in a world that would still crucify Jesus today if he showed up in America. God, at this point, was finally fed up with them. They'd been stubborn, they'd been rebellious, they'd complained again and again and again, and that's the situation in verse 11. The Lord said unto Moses, How long? Will this people provoke me? How long will it be ere they believe me for all the signs which I've shewed among them? I will smite them with the pestilence and disinherit them and will make of thee a greater nation and mightier than they. I mean, imagine the temptation to Moses. Moses knew that they deserved the judgment of God. And who in their right mind wouldn't like God to do great things through them? But Moses was not a self-serving leader. He was not an immature man. He had a different idea of what you're supposed to do when you're a spiritual leader and the people you're supposed to look out for are having a difficult time. And so Moses, instead of accepting God's offer, he prays. See, there was a difference in Moses and most of the people of Israel. The people of Israel, they knew the commandments of God. They knew what. But they did not understand why. They did not know God like Moses knew God. Now, I'm sure some of them did, but by and large they did not. Joshua knew God. Caleb knew God. Many of the young people who were under 20 knew God. But most of the people who were older than that and who had seen all that God had done, they knew what? They knew what God had commanded, but they didn't know God well. Moses did, and so he's going to pray, and he's going to use something God said about himself as the basis for his prayer request, and he does that in verse 17. Moses says, and now I beseech thee, let the power of my Lord be great, according as thou hast spoken, saying. And so what he's going to do, he's going to use something Moses said in Exodus 30, God said in Exodus 34 as the basis for his prayer request. Here's the basis for his request that God spare them. Verse 18, the Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression. By no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children under the third and fourth uh, generation. And God had revealed himself to Moses to be long-suffering and of great mercy. And a God who forgave iniquity and transgression. A God who did not 
hold the children responsible for what the parents did, but a God who caused the influence of what parents and grandparents did to influence several generations down. Moses knows God, and he uses this as a basis for his prayer request. And what's his request in verse 19? Pardon, I beseech thee, the iniquity of this people. According unto the greatness of thy mercy, and as thou hast forgiven this people from Egypt, even until now. <laughs> Thankfully, God wasn't done. Listen, God always has a line in the sand. God always has a line in the sand for those who reject Christ, where you've rejected Him for the last time. God always has a line in the sand when those who believe in the Lord Jesus have hardened their heart to the will of God, and God finally says, enough is enough. They had not reached that. Moses prayed, and so God, in response to Moses' prayer, in verse 20, the Lord said, I have pardoned according to thy word. The basis for Moses' prayer began in verse 18. The Lord is long-suffering. What does it mean when our Creator describes Himself as being long-suffering? Long-suffering is... A character quality of God, uh, three times in the Old Testament, five times in the New Testament, linked to God. I wonder how many people, if I had given out a piece of paper and said, write down the attributes of God that you're aware of, I wonder how many people would have said God is long-suffering. And then on that same piece of paper, if I said, write the definition of long-suffering, I wonder what would be written. See, a lot of people think long-suffering is just being patient. By the way, if you would have written patience, you at least would have been in the neighborhood. But long-suffering is more than just patience. In fact, there are two different New Testament verses, Colossians 1.11 and 2 Timothy 3.10, that list patience and long-suffering as separate qualities in the same verse. When our Creator reveals Himself and describes Himself as being long-suffering, what does He mean? See, long-suffering is being patient when being patient makes you suffer. Long-suffering is displaying patience when it pains us to be patient with someone or something. You know, sometimes when we're waiting, we're being patient. Sometimes it doesn't hurt or, or, or pain us at all to wait and be patient. Uh, listen, I'm patiently waiting for my 11% reimbursement from Menards but I'm not pained while I'm waiting. I'm patiently waiting to see if Cooper Flagg signs with Duke basketball. I hope he does. But I'm not pained while I'm waiting. I'm patiently waiting to see if Joe Burrow's five-year, $275 million contract will be a bust. But I'm not pained while I'm waiting. See, other times when we're waiting on something or someone, it does hurt us and make us suffer to wait. That is long-suffering. I've known many cases in my life where godly parents did everything they could to raise their children to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and to follow Him and love Him. But those children, when they were grown and got to make their own decisions, they didn't do that. I've watched the pain in those parents' life as they 
patiently waited and hoped and prayed that their children would turn to the Lord Jesus, that they raised them to believe and love. It was long-suffering they waited, and it hurt them while they wait. See, God is more than simply patient. Though he is patient, he's long-suffering. He is patient even when it pains him to be so. In Psalm 86, 15, the psalmist said, But thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering, and plenteous in mercy. In our text, we read how Moses quoted Exodus chapter 34, which says the Lord is long-suffering and of great mercy, forgiving iniquity and transgression. See, because God is long-suffering, he sought Adam and Eve instead of destroying them when they disobeyed him in Eden. Because God is long-suffering, he gave the world 120 years to repent of Noah preaching righteousness before he judged the world with a flood. Because God is long-suffering, he waited while Abram stopped in the city of Haran instead of going all the way to the promised land. Because God is long-suffering, he didn't order Aaron's execution when Moses was up on the mountain and Aaron led in the construction and worship of a golden calf. Because God is long-suffering, many of us here are here this morning. And this morning you're here and you have a restored life, though you spent a season in defiance of God. Though each of Israel's willful acts of defiance pained God, he patiently waited and he hoped. Listen, if God was quick on the trigger, if God was quick to anger, you and I would all be in trouble. But thankfully, God is long-suffering. There's a non-biblical story told about Abraham sitting in his tent one evening when he saw an old man who was weary from his journey coming toward him. Abraham went out and greeted him and invited him into his tent. There it is said that Abraham washed the old man's feet and he gave him food and drink. And the old man began immediately eating without saying a prayer or a blessing of any sort. And Abraham asked him, Don't you worship God? And the old traveler replied, I worship fire, and I reverence no other God. When Abraham heard this, he became angry, and he grabbed the old man by the shoulders, and he threw him out of his tent into the cold night air, and he watched that old man hobble away. And after the old man hobbled away, God called his friend Abraham, and he asked him where the stranger was. Abraham replied, I forced him out because... He did not worship you. God said to Abraham, I have patiently suffered his attitude and rejection for 80 years. Even though he dishonors me, could you not suffer him for one night? Though sometimes we fail to be, I'm glad this morning that our God is long-suffering. Though there is a line when the long-suffering of God does run out, thankfully God is patient with us and this world even though it pains Him to be so. And what I'd like to do this morning for just a few moments is make some applications and observations about long-suffering and the fact that God, our Creator, is long-suffering. Please, first go in your Bible to 2 Peter Chapter 3, 2 Peter uh, chapter 3. Forgot my Duke cup back there. By the way, I was glad Ohio State beat Notre Dame last night. 
Listen, I'd root for BYU against Notre Dame. And I'm a Michigan fan. Yeah, I know. Some of you are walking out right now. Some applications and observations about long-suffering and the long-suffering of our God. Here's number one. Because God is long-suffering, he is patient but pained with people rejecting Christ as Savior. Because God is long-suffering, is patient but pained with people rejecting Christ as their Savior. Look at chapter 3 and verse 9. It says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. By the way, how many does God want not to perish? How many does God want to repent? Not some, all. See, God doesn't take pleasure in the death of the wicked or in anyone who dies in their sins. The fact of the matter is, God has done all that he can do and remain just and make the way of forgiveness and salvation available to everyone. God is long-suffering to usward because he wants people to believe and to repent rather than to perish. Listen, regardless of who you are this morning, regardless of where you have been and what you have done, understand this, God wants you to be saved and repent. And it pains God to watch a world reject his loving offer. It pains God to have people ignore the voice of his spirit, calling them to faith in Christ. It pains God to know that every lost person will someday open up their eyes in hell when they close them on earth. It pains God to know that the blessings that he would like to give people are being missed because they refuse to repent and receive Christ as Savior. God suffers long with unsaved multitudes because he wants them to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, in a crowd this size and Certainly amongst those who listen to us electronically, I'm sure there are people within the sound of my voice, and the fact of the matter is, is that you have never yet humbled yourself to call upon and receive Christ as Savior. I want you to understand that doesn't please God. God is not happy that you're lost. He's not pleased that you have rejected Christ. God wants you to repent and be saved. And though God is a sovereign creator, could force anyone he wants to to be saved. God chooses not to do that and instead offer a gift by grace to those who would receive his son. Let me ask you this morning, can you go back in your mind and find a time when you humbled yourself to believe and receive Christ as Savior? If you have that experience and you are over about 10, understand, you really would clearly know that your life has changed. And if you had that experience and it's real and you were younger than 10, understand that that experience itself might be a little fuzzier, but the fact that you have a changed heart and desires for spiritual things that no one else has, that should be as clear as clear can be. Because Jesus Christ changes every heart and every life in which he lives. Are you saved this morning? If you're not, understand God is waiting on you. 
But please don't presume upon the long-suffering and goodness of God because there is a line in the sand for you. And this morning, uh, there's no better time than today. Today is a day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. There's no better time than this morning when we have an invitation in a moment for you to call on Christ. God was long-suffering with Nicodemus who came to Jesus by night, heard that he needed to be born again, walked away. God was long-suffering with the rich young ruler who came to Jesus and he asked what he needed for eternal life and he walked away. God was long-suffering with Saul of Tarsus who, having heard the testimony of so many believers and knowing the scriptures, rejected the pricks in his heart to repent and be saved, but God was long-suffering with him. God has been long-suffering with many here today. And you'd testify that you knew God spoke to your heart. But for whatever reason, a reason that made sense only to you, you said no to your creator. God has suffered long with you. I'm glad God suffered long with me after I heard the gospel for the first time. I wish I could be one of those people who could say, the first time God spoke to my heart, I responded and I humbled myself to call upon the Lord. I wish I could say that, but I'm not. God was long-suffering with me. Because God is long-suffering, our world, living in defiance of their creator, has not yet been destroyed by the fire of God's judgment. Because God is long-suffering, many unsaved people who have rejected Christ have not yet opened their eyes in the flames of hell. Because God is long-suffering, Christians going through seasons of rebellion still have a chance to repent, come home to God. Please. Don't make the mistake of thinking that the long-suffering of God means he approves of your rejection or your rebellion. Today is the day to fix it, amen? Please don't ignore the still, small, convicting voice of God's Spirit calling you to faith and repentance in Christ. Which gets us to our second thing. Please go back in your Bible to Galatians chapter 5. I said, number one, because God is long-suffering, he is patient, but pained with people rejecting Christ as Savior. Secondly, this morning, number two, believers obtain more long-suffering by yielding to the Holy Spirit. Long-suffering is a part of the Holy Spirit's fruit. In Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22, it says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, Meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. I've been asked, why is that last phrase in there, against such there is no law? Uh, because man doesn't make laws against any of those things. Regardless of the culture in which you live, regardless of how tyrannical the government is, listen, the government doesn't make laws against love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, or temperance. But that's not the point of those verses. The point of those verses is to teach us that the fruit, singular, those nine things, that is the fruit of the Spirit. It's not fruits as if you might have one thing and I might uh, have something else. It is fruit, singular, in that every true Christian, because the Spirit of God lives in them, should be producing all nine of these things. 
The Holy Spirit produces all nine of these things just as naturally and easily as an apple tree produces apples when you put it in the right soil and with the right sunshine, with the right amount of moisture. An apple tree does what an apple tree does. It produces the fruit of apples. And if the Holy Spirit is in you, if you're a child of God, if you've been saved, if you've been truly born again, understand the Spirit of God lives inside you. And if you do not hinder Him, He produces this fruit in your life. And the fourth of those nine is long-suffering. You know, one of the things I like most, among many things, of biblical Christianity is this. This is a promise to every Christian. If you're a true Christian, God's Spirit lives in you. You know, there are not a lot of things in life that are truly available to everyone. I remember when our kids were little, we had a little basketball hoop, and they were going over dunking. I sat them down. I said, listen, son, I said, you better learn to dribble and shoot from the outside. It's not in your genes to dunk. There are a lot of things we'd all like to do in life, but we can't. But understand that if truly you are born again, if truly Jesus lives in you, then His Spirit lives in your heart. And the Spirit, by His nature, produces these nine things if He's unhindered by our life choices. See, the fruit of being patient, though pained, with someone whose behavior, attitude, and words grieve us, it's available to every child, teenager, and adult in this room. The fruit of being able to be patient, though pained, with a situation we want resolved is available to every saved child, teenager, and adult in this room, regardless of your age. This basically means if you're a Christian and you are short-tempered and short-fused, you are missing something available to you. you say, well, that's just the way I was raised. Well, when, dear, are you going to get over the way you were raised? Well, that's just my personality. Well, listen, sir, well, about when in your life are you going to decide that the Spirit of God is greater than your natural disposition? I'm so weary of people excusing what they're not that they could be in Christ. And all nine things, all nine parts of this fruit of the Spirit are available to you. Listen, if God can be long-suffering to us, how much more ought you and I, by His grace, and his spirit be long-suffering with someone else. Let me ask you this morning, who is it this morning that you need to continue with patiently, though it is paining you, to do so? I dare you to ask God. And whoever that first person that came to your mind, that's the one. Let me ask you, if not just who, what is it this morning? that you need to be long-suffering about, that you need to be not just patient, you need to be patient, though it is paining you to be patient. Again, I challenge you, once you ask God, your heavenly Father, the God who hears his children, why don't you say, dear God, uh, Father, show me who it is that I need to be long-suffering towards. Father, show me what situation I need long-suffering towards, and I guarantee you, if something comes to your mind, that's the one. You see, by God's Spirit and by the grace of God, every child of God can be long-suffering with anyone and anything when we have yielded to Him.
The words yield and submit, those are words that are as contrary to our flesh as anything can be contrary. But until you and I yield and submit to the Holy Spirit of God, we'll never have all He wants to give us or be what He wants us to be. Let me ask you this morning, if I went to the people who knew you well, and I asked them, is, put your name in, long-suffering, what would they say? Yeah, they're a person who remains patient, though I know it pains them to be so. But it isn't just that because God is long-suffering, He is patient, though pained with those who haven't come to Christ. It isn't just that if Christ is in your life, He lives in your heart, the person of the Holy Spirit, therefore you can have long-suffering in your life. But lastly, this morning go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Say, Brother Wally, every week we show up, you preach against something I'm doing. Uh, you know, listen, the Bible is kind of like that. God is more interested in you and I having our life conformed to the image of Jesus Christ than He is making our life easy. I'm not implying He does not love us. He loves us regardless of what we're doing or not doing because God is love. I'm not implying that uh, God doesn't look down and he's glad that you're saved. I'm not implying that. I'm just saying, listen, uh, God is in the business of leaving us on this planet until we have finished our task and have become as conformed to the image of Jesus Christ as we're interested in being. Uh, I want to be more like Jesus. I hope you do as well. Which gets us to our last thing, number three. We'll never be effective building anything that endures without long-suffering. There's not a married person here who doesn't want to build a healthy marriage. There's not a parent here or someone who someday wants to be a parent who would not like to build a healthy home and healthy relationships with your children and with your parents. Not, not one. No, no one dreams, wow, you know what? I'd love to have a bad marriage and a bad relationship with my kids. No one does that. No one is effective at building anything without long-suffering. In fact, if you're here and you're a believer, there is some kind of a desire in your heart to do something for the Lord Jesus. It comes with your salvation. Now the what varies amongst us, but all of us, if you're saved, you have a something God has put in your heart. I'd like to do this for the Lord. God has gifted and called me to do that. Listen, you will never build any ministry of any sort without long-suffering. And that's why in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, in verse 4, 1 Corinthians 13, 4, he says, Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Amongst the 16 qualities listed that describe biblical love, charity, love in action, the first one of them there is suffereth long. Here it's broken up into two words. It is literally the same root word as 
long-suffering from 2 Peter 3, 9, and the same word as long-suffering from Galatians 5. Listen, all of us hunger for our key relationships and work and life to be more than just a flash in the pan. All of us. Listen, it's nice to have a good friend for a month, even better to have one for years. Nice to have someone who loves us and wants to be with us for a year, much better for a lifetime. It's nice to have a ministry where someone shows up on occasion, much better when they show up regularly. Nice to have a good weekend with your children, much better to have a good relationship all your days. And one of the qualities that are absolutely essential to healthy relationships, to anything you and I do that would have any lasting impact, we must have charity, the kind of love that is long-suffering, that suffers long. And if you and I are not willing to build long-suffering in our key relationships, we'll never have any relationships at last. You may be like this. Ever know anybody to jump from church to church and the problem is always the church, never them. Ever know anybody to jump from job to job to job, boss to boss to boss, and the problem is always the boss, the problem is always the co-workers, the problem is always the company, but somehow the problem always travels wherever they go. Ever know anybody who goes from friend to friend to friend, they have this best friend for six months, and this best friend for the next six months, and this best friend for the next six months behind that. Ever know anybody like that and never come to realize that it's not always the way that people are to them, that somehow they are with it in every situation. Because every lasting relationship, anything you and I do with any meaning at all, requires long-suffering. It's not, it's not just teenagers and children who go in and out of friends and boyfriends and girlfriends. It's adults. Fickle. Short-lived. It might shock you, but everybody here, uh, we think it's just everybody else that has quirks. We think it's just everybody else that has things that make them difficult. Listen, you and I have them too. Hey, hey, hey listen, uh, my wife is as good of a lady as you ever want to bump into, but you know what? It takes some long-suffering at times for me. And it takes a lot of long-suffering for her. It, it may shock you. Sometimes I have to have long-suffering with you. I don't believe there's a congregation of God's people anywhere that are any better than the people in this room. But sometimes it takes long-suffering. And you know what? Sometimes you'll have to be long-suffering with me. In fact, I could make you a list. I don't care what relationship it is. I don't care if it's a parent. I don't care if it's a child. I don't care if it's a grandparent. I don't care if it's a neighbor. And the fact of the matter is, because human beings in general, and sadly, Christians far too often, do not value long-suffering. We go from person to person to person and place to place to place, never finding what we are looking for because we refuse to look inside and notice that we have no long-suffering with the faults of others that we want from them. Do you need more long-suffering this morning? 
How healthy are your key relationships? Do you go in and out of them all the time? The story told about a man who stopped in a grocery store on his way home from work and is picking up a couple of things for his wife. And as those of us who don't grocery shop much, who don't know where anything is, he was wandering around a lot from aisle to aisle and, as is often the case, kept bumping into another shopper in almost every aisle. The interesting thing about this other shopper is he had an uncooperative three-year-old boy in his cart. The first time he passed by him, the three-year-old was asking over and over and over for a candy bar. And the man just heard the dad saying, Now, Billy, this won't take long. As they passed into the next aisle, the three-year-old was just louder and an octave higher. And this time, the dad was quietly saying, Billy, just calm down. We'll be done in a minute. They passed near the dairy, dairy cruller, and the kid was just screaming uncontrollably. The dad was keeping his cool. And in a low voice, he could hear the dad saying, Billy, settle down. We're almost out of here. Wouldn't you know, this dad and the screaming son reached the checkout about the same time as a man picking up gifts, uh, picking up food from his wife's list. And the dad, not, the kid is still kicking and screaming. And the dad uh, could hear, was saying just calmly, Billy, we'll be in the car in just a minute. Everything will be okay. Billy, we'll be in the car in just a minute. Everything will be okay. The bystander, he, he was just really impressed with his dad and figured the dad needed a little encouragement. So he rushed out in the parking lot and there in the parking lot, you know, he was trying to put the screaming kid in the car and the dad was just calmly saying, Billy, we're done. It's going to be all right. Billy, we're done. It's going to be all right. And when he tapped the dad on the shoulder, he said, sir, I, I couldn't help but notice how you handled little Billy. You were just amazing. And the dad turned around with a very frustrated look. He said, my name is Cody. I'm sorry, my son's name is Cody. My name is Billy. See, talking to yourself may or may not help. But either way, God is long-suffering. He is patient. Even when His patience pains Him, as He watches us miss blessings and hurt ourselves and hurt the people in our life. There's people here this morning and you need to turn to Christ. You need to stop presuming in the long suffering of God. Stop presuming you have another chance. Because at some point, time will run out. Others here, you're saved, but let's just be honest, you need to clean up your life. The Holy Spirit does not produce His fruit in the life of a Christian who quenches him and grieves him with the way they live. And let's just be honest, what you need this morning, Christ is in your life, you need to repent. You need to change directions and begin to live more and more image, more and more like the Lord Jesus Christ wants you to. There's others here, and you're saved. And what you need to do, you just need to simply decide to love enough the people in your circle 
to show them long-suffering. We all need it, and we all need to give it. Amen? If you'd quietly stand this morning.